We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And as you're, uh, if you have your Bibles or have one in the, in the chairs there, as you're finding your place, I was thinking about rocks this week, and you'll figure out why shortly. But I was thinking about how whenever our family uh, goes for hikes um, along and we find like smooth, still water, we love to have rock skipping contests. It's like one of the things that we love to do when we are out for hikes. And uh, often when we hike at McConnell's Mill uh, State Park, uh, whenever we find a, a place in the, uh, in the creek where the pool or the water kind of pools and is still, we'll see who can get the closest uh, to get all the way across uh, by skipping uh, the rocks. And, um, and if you've ever skipped rocks, you, you know that you need to find just the right one, right? I mean, you just can't pick up like any old rock and try to skip it, right? It has to be flat and smooth, not too light, but not too heavy. And sometimes you can spend a really long time looking for the perfect rock. But once you find it, you know that you have it. And then it obviously takes the skill of the person to be able to skip it. But you know that you have that right rock. Well, this morning, instead of skipping rocks, Peter tells us that he's found the perfect rock, a rock that is perfect to be the cornerstone of a building. We're not as familiar with this building method, but where this building method was used in the past and in some places even still today, before constructing a building, a Cor- uh, the stonemasons search piles of rocks. They search through all kinds of rocks looking for ones with the size and shape to become foundation stones, particularly the cornerstone. The cornerstone is very important because it sets the course of the entire foundation. It sets the course literally for the entire building to be built properly. And Peter uses this imagery, the same imagery that Jesus himself used to explain how the Jewish leaders had been searching for the cornerstone, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But when they found it, they rejected it. They rejected Jesus. And yet, in the sight of God, Jesus was chosen and precious, and he is the foundation of who we are as God's people So let's read 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
They stumble because they disobey the word as they have been destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word made flesh, Jesus, the cornerstone, the living stone, Lord, that as we are connected to him, we ourselves are living stones being built, being built by you into this house, that we are your people, a people for your own possession, holy to you and as priests to this world. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning to understand what it is that you are relaying to us through your apostle Peter. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we continue our series in 1 Peter titled Exiles. Last week we saw that we don't love one another as we ought, but since we have been born again, we can love one another. Peter points out by obeying the truth, which is the gospel, or believing the gospel from a pure heart through the word of God. This morning, Peter moves from how we love one another to how we understand our identity as God's people and our mission in the world. He says that our holiness lived out in love should move us from malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander in verse 1. And like newborn infants, we should long for pure spiritual milk. By it, you may grow up into salvation. We grow up into this salvation if indeed we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And notice that Peter doesn't counter this list of, of uh, vices, malice, deceit, and the rest with a list of virtues for us to strive for. Right? He doesn't say that as he's coming out of this reminder of a, of a holiness that we are called to live by because of the gospel through the blood of Christ. He doesn't say, so put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and then do these things instead. No, he, instead, he says, desire something better. Desire something else. Desire God's pure spiritual milk. That milk is pure, literally undeceiving. It has no corrupting errors or additions. We desire God's truth as an infant longs for her mother's milk, Peter is saying. When we have tasted the Lord is good and know that we belong to his family, God feeds us and grants us 
sincere and heartfelt love for one another and so that we can put away sin and grow into our salvation. And as we grow into this salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, we are being built not individually, though, yes, we are being built individually through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, but we are being built up into a spiritual living building, right? It's not just us as individuals who are growing into our salvation. It is us as living stones being constructed into a spiritual house, a spiritual building. Peter then goes on to quote from Isaiah 28, verse 16, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. From Psalm 118, 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In Isaiah 8, 14, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to explain to us how Jesus is this cornerstone that God had spoken through the prophets and the psalmist years and years before. And so as we come to our text, we have to ask the question, are we built on the cornerstone or do we trip over it? Are we built on the cornerstone of Christ or do we trip over him? Jesus said himself that many will fall because of him. They just can't believe that he's the promised one, that he's the way to the Father, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so they fall. But those who believe are built into something glorious and beautiful. That's our main point. Our main point this morning is because Jesus is the cornerstone, we are his presence and priests in the world. We are his presence. We are his priests. We are his presence as what we'll see, the temple of God. And we are his priests or his representatives in the world. First, his presence, or his temple, verses 4 through 5. Peter says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. What is he getting at? He's using the imagery, the the figure of the, the temple or the tabernacle as the spiritual house, as the house of God. Right? Picture that the, the tabernacle in the wilderness, or then once they come to the promised land, the people of Israel uh, uh, build this beautiful temple. It is the presence of God among his people. Right? If you remember uh, from uh, uh, Exodus, as we see the people in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and Numbers, when we see the people after they leave. Egypt, and as they're wandering in the wilderness, everywhere that they went, they went with God, right? God led them by a pillar of smoke by day and protected them with a pillar of fire by night. His presence was in their midst, and his presence was literally in the tabernacle. He lived among his people. God's tent was pitched in the center of Israel's camp. 
And once they come to the promised land, God tells Solomon to build this temple in Jerusalem that he would dwell in. God was there among his people. They belonged to him and he to them. And Peter is taking the imagery, the picture of the tabernacle, and even more specifically the temple as these stones are, as he's talking about these stones being built into a spiritual house. And he's saying that the true temple is Christ's body. Do you remember that Jesus said, you destroy this temple in three days, it will rise up. Right? Jesus was talking about himself as the true temple. And as we are united to Christ, the living stone, we as living stones in Christ are joined to the cornerstone, the the perfect stone, the stone that is set so that the course of the foundation and the walls of the building are, are perfectly set, are perfectly plumb, are perfectly beautiful and glorious. We are joined to the cornerstone, and in that way, the church becomes the true house of God. You see, Jesus wasn't just saying that his singular body was the temple. Jesus was foreshadowing that his church, his people, the body of Christ is the true temple, where God himself dwells with us, his people And it is his dwelling place in the world. Peter's language is corporate. It is not merely individualistic. He thinks of the spiritual temple not as the body of an individual believer, not even as the individual body of Christ himself, but as the body of believers, the company of those who are joined to Christ are being built into the most beautiful house of God that you could ever imagine. And this is why you can't be a Christian without being a part of a local body of Christ that we call the church. Are there extreme circumstances where that's not possible? Yes. But the ordinary means and circumstances of the Christian is that of living stones being built into the dwelling place of God. Yes, Christ by the Holy Spirit dwells within each of us individual Christians, but Peter takes it a step further. He said that where this reality finds its truest expression and fulfillment is within the body of Christ, the church, the household of God. Cyprian of Carthage famously said, you cannot have God for your father unless you have the church for your mother. Cyprian was a third century Berber in northern Africa. You might say, well, what did Cyprian know? Well, here, let me tell quote somebody you a little bit closer to our time that you might have also heard of. John Calvin followed the same understanding of the church. He says, quote, for she, meaning the church, 
has the incorruptible seed of life deposited in her by which she forms us, cherishes us in her womb and brings us to light. She has the milk and the food by which she continually nourishes her offspring. This is why the church is called the mother of believers. And certainly he who refuses to be a son of the church desires in vain to have God as his father. But it goes even deeper, even further. Right? The temple, as we said, was where God dwelled with his people. It's where the nations were to come, to be welcomed to worship the living and true God. It displayed the beauty of creation, right? Remember how God described both the tabernacle and the temple and what was supposed to be ordaining the temple, ordaining the tabernacle? Things that reminded those who entered of the beauty and awe-inspiring aspect of his creation, of a representation of his royal throne room in heaven. But more importantly, it displayed the holiness, the glory, and the beauty of God himself. If this is what the temple was, how much more is the church, the living temple or house of God today? We, the living temple of God, are to be his presence in the world to display his holiness, his glory, his beauty. And we, as this temple that is being built up, these living stones, as the temple in the Old Testament was, to be a draw of the nations of the beauty and the glory and the majesty of God. And you see what Peter's doing here? He's taking the locus of the temple, right? He's using this reminder of this image of exile, that the temple no longer needs to sit on Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But that no matter where the people of God are, whether in Morocco, whether in Ukraine, whether in Mexico, whether in the United States, wherever God's people are and wherever the body of Christ has gathered together, they are being built into this beautiful temple this dwelling place of God. Even in exile, this can happen, and in fact, must happen. You see, God's presence with his people, the temple, the church at its core is the mission of the church. To be this holy temple of God, a reminder to the world of who God is. And Peter presents the high calling of the people of God to prepare us for the instructions about our lifestyle. He tells us that this is who you are. You are these spiritual stones. You are these living stones like Christ, like Christ the living stone. You are two living stones being built up into this spiritual house. 
The people of God are a holy temple, united to Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. And then he takes this emphasis as God's dwelling place and moves the church has both the status and a ministry. This status as this temple, this dwelling place of God, the status of where his presence dwells, and a ministry as his priests or representatives. Verses 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then he goes down into chapter 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In verse 5, Peter says that we are a holy priesthood and then comes back, as I said, to that imagery in verse 9. Right? The priests, think about the priests in the Old Testament had access to God that no others had. They could serve in the inner chambers of the tabernacle and the temple, and once a year the high priest could enter the holy of holies where the very presence of God dwelled. And so as priests, Peter is saying, we have full access to God. As individual believers, we have full access to our Heavenly Father. We are also a chosen race not just a particular race of people, but as Christians, we have become a new people, a new race. And this new race is as a holy nation. Peter presses even deeper into the Christian identity. Because Jesus chose us, Peter informs us, you are a chosen people, a royal priest today, holy nation, a people belonging to God. These are honorary titles that come from Exodus 19 when God constituted Israel as a, as a nation in Isaiah 43 where God promised to reestablish Israel after the exile. They are foundational statements about Israel that now are applied to the church. Peter tells us that the privileges of Israel are now ours. And this privileged state of God's people leads to privileged action. Because God has redeemed us, we are his. We are heralds who declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. What does this mean? As priests, we are called to represent and to mediate. We are to represent God to the world and mediate on behalf of those who are walking in darkness. We engage this calling as a people, not primarily individuals, but as a people, a priestly people, notice that Peter says. This counters our individualistic understanding of our mission. We are to be a people who worship and sacrifice, teach and bless. Now, not sacrificing animals, 
but these spiritual sacrifices of holy living. And while the church certainly has a prophetic voice and kingly calling under the kingship of Christ, that is not how the New Testament primarily envisions our calling. Right? Many Christians want the church to be primarily prophetic, denouncing the evil in the world. Right? Call those suckers out. But who were the who was the primary audience of the prophets in the Old Testament? The people of God. Yeah, the other nations occasionally. Jonah, Nahum. Obadiah. Those primarily the people of God. Others want the church to reign as king over society. But let me remind you that is Jesus' unique calling. We see in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, the primary calling of God's people is to be priests to the nations. Right? We are to be priests that mediate, in a sense, not as Jesus mediates, but mediates the covenant of God, the covenant that has saved us, the covenant that we have been welcomed in, into. We are to mediate on God's behalf the covenant. The gospel, we are to proclaim that gospel. We are to show God's presence with his people. The temple, right? We are to be that presence of God in the world. The church is, the, the church at its core is the missionary living as a holy priesthood, a sacramental community, right? We are to live out as a sacramental community who who we are in Christ Jesus. We are to confess who God is using Scripture that creates, brings out faith as the Word of God is proclaimed and brings an invitation to question the ways of this world and to confess faith. It is to be communal, together, a community under the shepherding of Jesus Christ and the shepherding of God's people. This is the call of his priests, to live as those who mediate on Christ's behalf, right, to see and to know who we are in Christ and to display that to the world in word and deed. Jesus is the cornerstone, rejected by men but honored by God. When we trust him, we share his honor and join his family. And that is where we find our identity. Our identity is more true and secure, and it liberates from the self-inflicted shame that 
Peter says that we are liberated from. And it calls us in the privilege from faith in Christ that we are God's chosen ones, living temple, a living temple, a royal priesthood, because he is all things first. We are his elect. We are the priests who come with his royalty and his priesthood, and all the privileges become ours through faith that unites us to him. This past week, I just had a quick trip down to Spanish River PCA Church for a church planting retreat that I've gone to for years as the representative from our presbytery. And by God's good providence, the, the, the theme of the conference, of the retreat, was living in a secular, post-Christian society and understanding this place as exile and what it means to live as Christ's priests, as a living temple. And the focus of almost everyone who spoke was who are from various post-Christian cultures beyond where we find ourselves in the United States. And the image that they kept coming back to was 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. That the greatest way to reach the world of exile that we find ourselves in is by being the people of God. Right? To do as God reminded his people and through the prophet Jeremiah in Babylon. To plant gardens, to marry, to seek the welfare of the place that I have sent you not by force, not by seeking your own gain, but by being priests where I have sent you. Seek the good. Live the good. Proclaim the good. Live in such a way that shows the beauty and glory of the temple that has been destroyed, but you are the new temple. You, as the people of God, are the new temple displaying the beauty and the glory. You are where God dwells in this world. Brothers and sisters, I know the desire for that prophetic voice or the kingly reign. And where the church has those places in our society, we should step into them. But our primary calling, 
the primary imagery that we have is to be priests. Because Jesus is the cornerstone, we are his presence and priests in the world, his temple, his representatives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is the cornerstone and that we as living stones are being built by you into a glorious dwelling place. And that we are your holy people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And Lord, I pray that we would live as your priests in this place for your glory and for the good of the place where you've placed us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.